Welcome to Writers Talking TV, brought to you by the Writers Guild of Canada. I'm Jill Golick, here with Philip Vukovic, looking at it drizzle once again in downtown Toronto, but the weather's been great, so we're not complaining. The flowers are out, it's warm, it's fantastic. And we have this great evening ahead of us with Jared Kale and Jeff LaPere, creators of the web series turned TV series, Pure Ownage. Introduce you to our guests, Jarrett Kale and Jeff LaPere. At- <laughs> so now I want to ask you how Pure Ownage came about, because this is a pretty old project, right? Yeah, it's um, six years this May, actually, which is actually really hard to believe. It came about a little bit by accident. Yeah. Jeff and I, probably like most of you, had always had an interest in sort of television and filmmaking, uh-huh. uh, writing and producing it and and doing uh, anything we could to sort of get into it. Uh, we were actually <coughs> had planned to make a pilot for a completely unrelated TV show. Uh-huh. Uh, so we were familiarizing ourselves with some cameras and editing software. And uh, the f- test footage we took was me just improvising a character, sort of getting my mm-hmm. uh, pent-up aggression out at these little kids on these internet forums that I was dealing with at that time as I was trying to <laughs> trying to play this game. <laughs> and uh, Jeff got the footage, and uh, we looked at it. It was... I thought it was pretty funny. We're like, wow, that's pretty funny. So we uh, we put it online at a forum that we went to to get, download replays from this game. It's hard to explain. It's very geeky, and uh, and it just sort of went viral. And a few hundred people watched it, which we were was pretty shocking. And uh, continue on. So uh, yeah, it was, <laughs> it was cut into a preview for a show that didn't exist. So it was like, you know, watch Pure Ownage coming soon. And everyone got really excited, started talking about what is this Pure Ownage show? Oh my God, it's it's about show about video games. So uh, we had two things going for us at the time. One was that it was a show about video games, and two is that it was an internet show. This was a time before YouTube, 2004. If you can imagine, the internet yeah. without YouTube, it's hard so to there, imagine nowadays. There no, was no streaming, right? No streaming. Uh, there was there was one streaming site called Putfile, uh, which allowed users to stream, but it was it was the pre-YouTube. YouTube just sort of destroyed it. Um, the sort of concept of watching video when you went on the web. Like the entire mentality of a web surfer was different six years ago. You didn't go to the web and expect to be able to click and see video. In fact, that was a fantasy that Jeff and I often talked about. It was like, oh, man, one day, oh, dude, you have to come to the website, hit play, and then watch the video. No, it was um, we, we, we distributed raw files, AVIs, that we used BitTorrent, a beautiful technology, to distribute. And people had to have the technological know-how to operate a BitTorrent client to get that that file and, and to watch it on their home computer and have the right codecs, et cetera. So the barrier to entry was actually pretty high, but then again, our audience was very tech-savvy, so it actually, I think, added to the coolness of it all. Yeah, so there was the novelty of watching video online. We used to just upload files to a server. We had to find ways of getting free bandwidth because it was expensive uh, back in the day. And, um, you know, people would click and download uh, the show, and that was enough to, for it to go viral, uh, just having well, there didn't viral didn't even exist then, right? I mean, even that. Yeah. Well, was we viral We use viral in its in its authentic meaning. I think it actually displayed viral properties, meaning it, it grew faster than it could shrink. It 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 grew on its own, right? It, uh-huh. Out of control. Now, I think the word has sort of been bastardized a little bit. I think it's used by marketing people, and yeah. you know, anything you put on the web that's a video now is viral marketing. It's like it's not viral actually if people aren't sending it more than they're not, and, and it's not spreading on its own without any input. 
Um, you know, we never spent a penny on advertising. We never even spent effort on advertising. All of our effort went into the product, making the show, and, and all the effort was done by the fans to spread it. Okay, so who were you when you started this? Had you had any training in filmmaking or, or writing or anything like that, or did you just invent the form? We, I think we sort of invented it. Um, I mean, Jeff was still in school for physics. I was an amateur stand-up comedian. Uh -huh. uh, everything we had written and produced beforehand was amateur. We made our own little funny videos back in Calgary. Um, you know, Jeff. Do, helped. do you have a degree in physics? Yeah, I, I was uh, I was doing a PhD at, uh, at U of T, and then I ended up doing that for five years and dropping out without finishing my thesis. It's very sad. My background is in um, computer science and math, so we don't really come from the. Our, well, the thing, we're from Calgary. You have to understand. <laughs> um, growing up in Calgary, you don't tell people. I want to be a writer <laughs> or an actor <laughs> unless you are comfortable with them thinking that you're crazy. Uh, so it was something that, you know, we did in our free time, you know. Uh -huh. uh, and uh, But, you know, moving out, I got into stand-up in university in Calgary, and that's when I sort of just decided, okay, this is it. And oh, then, uh, were you here in Toronto when you did the first episode? It was very shortly after I moved here. Uh -huh. So um, Jeff and I, obviously, we've been friends since grade five, so we've always corresponded throughout our whole lives. And um, stand-up, was doing really well for me in Calgary. I was, uh, I had found an audience. The college crowd really liked my stuff. It was nothing like Paramount. It was very, you know, sharp, you know, edgy kind of stuff. Um, so I moved out here to pursue that, and um, and then yeah, Jeff and I started messing around with cameras out here, and Paramount was born. And were you gaming at the same time? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I blame gaming for not having a degree. Actually, <laughs> uh, I spent six years, no degree. I have uh -huh. quite a few high-level EverQuest characters, uh, <laughs> a few GM mages in Ultima, and I've, you know, I have a lot of uh, virtual goods to speak for my success. Okay. <laughs> well, and a television <laughs> series too. So, and so, how many how many episodes did you do online? Right now, there's uh, 18 episodes that mm -hmm. we did over those six years. So our release schedule was was sporadic. It was just like, okay, well, let's work on it. I mean, once every three four months, we'd release an episode. And it was a big deal, you know. We'd, we'd uh, once once the show grew to something major and something big on the internet, um, we would rent out theaters, and uh, you know, hundreds of people would show up to screenings. Our biggest screening ever was in Melbourne, Australia. We had 1,100 people in one theater in the Lower Arrowhead Cinema just to see a 25-minute piece of content that was new, um, and that was insane. I mean, the fans are just or the crazy fans. You know, you, you, when, when you're screening a Pure episode and you're doing a world premiere, you, you're missing half the dialogue. <laughs> At what point, how far along was, it, I assume it was supporting you by then? Uh, yeah, it, we, we started uh, making a living off the show when you know, we get a lot of emails in the early days. Oh, where, where, where can I get that shirt that you brought? I was wearing an Uber Gamer shirt, which I had bought from thinkgeek.com, just yeah. a, a geek site. It was actually, sorry, it was, it was bought for me as a gift because someone knew I was a big geek. And, uh, and I just happened to be wearing it. I was wearing a bandana the day that we filmed the test footage because... I hadn't showered because I was playing video games all night. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, yeah, so all these people writing us, where can I buy that shirt? Where can I buy that shirt? And I don't, you know, it's, do we want to send them all to thinkgeek.com? Do we want to sell them shirts? Or do we want to sell them shirts? <laughs> <laughs> so we, we wrote in the story that Jeremy gets an IO News shirt. It was of our own yeah. design. Very simple design. IO News with, with red text. And uh, this became, uh, well, when, when we decided we want to get in the shirt business, you know, uh, Jared and I said, okay, well, let's pull our money, 
You know, we'll buy 150 shirts, and if they don't sell, well, we'll have a lot of shirts for the rest of their lives. Yeah. And we'll use, use the XXLs as blankets, and, you know. Like we'll, toilet we'll, we'll toilet paper alternatives were suggested. Yeah, so, so yeah. we had these, you know, 150 shirts, and we're like, okay, I hope they sell. You know, I hope we can actually make our money back off this. Uh, to this day, we've sold 30 to 40,000 Iron League shirts. Um, you know, it's it's sustained a staff of five full-time employees um, when we're doing the web series. Um, just our, our merchandising alone. So um, we've, we've tried a lot of different ways to monetize online content. I've talked to a lot of people doing online, uh, you know, the, the Guild, uh, Legend of Neo, all these other big online shows. And so they've been putting our heads together and saying, you know, nobody's really figured out how to monetize independent online content. Well, the lessons that we learned are mostly, mostly it's merchandising. You can make some money from advertising if the ad dollars aren't there on the web like they are for traditional television. Um, there's a lot of lessons we learned trying different ways of monetizing the content. So that's that's the business side of it. But you know, um, the fans truly were the ones that supported the show and that made it possible to happen. And they you know they love Brian. Uh, you know, back to school we had we always had you know our, our sales uh, went way up and you know, tell it's like always a, a woman's name uh, because it's the mom's credit card. A few of whom were suspended <laughs> for getting the wrong shirts for their school. Yeah, apparently uh, the, we have a shirt that says GTFO, and a lot of principals didn't like that. Uh, you know, yeah. you know, who knows what that stands for? <laughs> Get the fuck out, that's right. Um, so and so, when did streaming come along? A couple of years later, it was it was in its infancy. Like Putfile just emerged after we had just started. I'm not sure exactly who was. We, were, we stuck with our AVIs for a while, but Putfile we really took notes of Putfile when uh, episode we released episode five, and um, a clip from the episode, just a subsection of the episode, was cut by someone. We still to this day don't know who cut this, but uh, just this one clip was cut and it was put on Putfile. As, and it was uncredited, just this one clip episode of that VS Doug, and it went insanely viral. I mean, uh, it, it was actually the, the number one viral video on on Putfall. The <laughs> uh, well, on, on, yeah, on the internet at the time, yeah. Because, but yeah. it was at the point where it was just before YouTube. So then YouTube came out, and there were all these number one viral videos that didn't have the same Putfall views as us. So we, if we had just been a, a year later, we could have been. You know, we were the too early. Dance, could have been, been the evolution of dance. <laughs> so, but so so, was had anybody had, had you ever seen a web series? Had anybody used the word web series? Uh, well, there was a, there was red versus blue predates us. Uh, okay. Nothing live acted. What we thought we'd do is like let's see if we can pull it up with actors. <laughs> you know, uh, people tried using video games to make the animation. Yeah. Um, that, uh, the brothers chaps homestarrunner.com. They, they were very inspirational for us. Um, we saw a story on them about how they had managed to make a living for them and their families and just by merchandising. They had a great mer great store, um, and they made all this, this video content. And, I mean, it's, it's written content, and then it's, it's acted by cartoons, and it's not so dissimilar. And uh, we, didn't, we have no talent when it comes to drawing. <laughs> you know, obviously we're both stick figure kind of guys. Uh, but, you know, I was a comic. We know lots of actors. Uh, we ha we're comfortable behind the camera. Um, and we were very comfortable with distributing something like that. The large file size that act, live acting would take a very large file size, not like a simple flash graphic. So, uh, so we thought we'd give that a shot. So yeah, so we rented a camera from the, or sorry, just borrowed it from borrowed the it. library. <laughs> you know, you get cameras for free if you go through their like, you know, Final Cut course. Or whatever. So it was really like the the ten dollar mini DVD tape was the budget of the first episode. Right? There was no sets, no costumes. 
lighting, or is it that it's just you know, the tape? <laughs> All natural lighting, maybe. <laughs> it looks, looks like garbage, but... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, it was both gaming, and it was a video on yeah. the internet that was yeah. about the... Which was, at the time, <laughs> unheard of. Yeah. And, and so it ran about in the 20 to 30-minute range? The first one? The very first one was originally cut to be 13 and a half minutes. We later went back, and George Lucas did it down to 11. Uh-huh. Um, and it sits now at 11 and some change. 11 and change. Uh, the longest episode was episode 12 at 46 minutes, pretty much half a feature. Most of them have around 25 minutes, though. When and, and, and why did you choose that length? Well, it was just as long as the material mm-hmm. ended up being. It was, it was the right way to cut it. It was, the, in our opinions, it was just... There's the episode, yeah. and really, we don't have to stick to any any standards of, of length, of, yeah. of language, of content. Post production dictated it. Watching the episode and going, that's the right pace, or that feels right, or that's too fast, that's that's too quick. So really, much slow. more me, um, a natural length Very organic. to the story. Absolutely. Now, okay, so the Very first intuitive. one was really improv. There was 47 oh, minutes no. of tape, uh-huh. and the episode was cut to 13 minutes. Okay. So there was no second takes. It was really a lot of just filming random improvised stuff. Random But it changed a lot. Okay. So w- by the time you came to the second one, were you scripted or at least a Loose story? The <laughs> concept. The concept. Had, actually, the, the second one was like, let's go out and it was one drink of a lot of beer. And then and yeah, we'll, get, we'll, we'll talk to people on the street and yeah. be in character. And, and the second one is what, is what forged Jeremy's accent is because I had created this fake funny accent in episode one that was unlike anything else. I just wanted to, A, for it to be distinct from me, and B, to be ridiculous, because, again, I was trying to make fun of these people. I didn't mean to be their hero. And uh, <laughs> um, and the second one, yeah, so we started getting some structure. We had, okay, the girls' episode, and uh, Jeff, you know, he was at the university at the time. He was a, a TA, and he, so he uh, we set up these interviews with all these girls, and we had a structure for it. But then when it came to sort of the, the main A-story a content of Jeremy going up to the bars, um, it was really us getting some pictures of beer and going to the bar and walking people saying, do you mind being on camera? No, cool, let's, <laughs> let's go. Um, and so and was, we just rolled with it. Very gorilla. Like, uh, we, we, yeah. we learned fast that if you ask if you can film, they'll say no. But if you can yes. film, they won't say anything yeah. um, at the restaurants. And in yeah. fact, you know, we're extremely irresponsible uh, filmmakers. Horrible. Like we, we, don't, we don't even know the names of some of the people that, that <sighs> have signed waivers yeah. in sure. early episodes. Right? Yeah. Like it's just people on the street. Just, just in the very early episodes. Well, we... Yeah, we couldn't have anticipated. I mean, when we were making episode two, maybe 500 people had seen episode one. But um, but the, the the production value difference between one and two is like massive. Like it's it's and two and three and three and four. Yeah, yeah. Because again, when we made one, it was we had no idea what we were getting into. We really didn't. We thought it was funny. People wanted to see the show in the first place based on the fake preview. Um, and you know, episode one was shot in an afternoon. It had no real goal. It, the goal was let's film. Me improvise some stuff and pretend this is this guy's life, and 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 then episode two, you know, there, all of a sudden there's a story. There's you know there's some structure to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, and quickly by episode three and four, our numbers went from five hundred to like five thousand, and then you know after that when it's fifty thousand and when it's five hundred thousand, the more eyeballs that are watching, the more seriously you take what you're making, and, uh-huh. uh, and you start thinking a little but, more. But also, I mean, you must have learned a huge amount just doing, oh right? My, yeah, yeah. It was a uh, it was our school. Yeah, Robert Rodriguez's five-minute film school was our first five minutes. <laughs> and, then, uh, 
No, it was. It, we called it our sandbox. That's how we've always sort of referred to, especially the first season of Pure was our sandbox, which is why we went all over the place. Every episode was different. We'd have episodes that were very epic in nature, you know, and, and throwing lightning balls, and we fight scenes, and then other episodes that are very mockumentary, very raw, um, because, you know, sort of, we were exploring different aspects of writing, of, 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 of directing, of acting, of everything. This was our opportunity. We have an audience. Uh, let's just play. And we played, and they loved it. They loved it because we weren't NBC. We didn't say, hey, this is Friends. Every day, every week, here's 22 minutes of the same content. Here's, this, here's what you can expect stamped out every week. Oh, those are the characters I know. No. They had no idea what to expect. So part of the enthusiasm <clears throat> of the fan base is what are they going to give us next? What's what's coming next? How different can they get? Okay, so I don't I don't I don't mean to jump in, jump to the end of the story, but how do you feel now? You're in the cookie cutter <laughs> world. Yeah. <laughs> now, now, yeah. It was, we found it very very restrictive. You know, back in the old days, yeah. like I you know I feel like doing uh, a, a rap music video is like you know early '90s chronic style music with you know this kind of thing, and it's like okay, it's in the show, so we're right around that, and then we just build a little scene around that and do a, a music video. You know, it was that free. It was like whatever you felt like doing. It's like, oh, I want to try out my chops on this, or I want to try a scene like this. Now it's, of course, you know, the, the shackles are on, and you started writing for television, and guess what? There was stakes raised before the act break. That's a learning stuff. lesson. And Mark Steinberg, our story editor, basically taught us how to write for TV. Like we had no idea. We would have, we would have been uh, equally crazy as we were on the web. Um, you know, one could argue that maybe that's that's a good thing or a bad thing. I don't know. Um, you know, it might have been if, if, it, if we were still in our Wild West mentality, it would have been a very different show. But um, you know, it does seem like more of a. It is faster paced, I think, the content that we do. Oh television. yeah, yeah. Um, you know, there are there are. It has improved. I think it's the best stuff we've, we've written um, so far. Given that we've we've now had sort of a six year long focus group with the millions of people, and, yeah. and we have our community forums, and we've read all the comments on all the episodes, so we know what has worked and what hasn't with this audience. Um, so yeah, that's what the season one of Pure Orange ended up being. All right, so we I, we would talk forever if 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 it was <laughs> yeah, if it was up to me. But let's take a break. We'll watch an episode and then we'll come back and talk about how you know what the differences are, okay, okay. and between TV and uh, do you want to hit the uh, thank you? Um, so because. We'll get, you know. Oh, but you know what? Before we put it on, why don't you tell us about the character that you play? Jeremy? Okay. Yeah. Oh, What's, yeah. what, like, what, what, I mean, Jeremy, is, Jeremy has a backstory a little bit, right? He's. He does. Um, he is, he's not an idiot. Although, to most people, he'd come across as one. It's something that you learn as you watch parents that, wow, this guy's not actually stupid. He's a little unlearned. He doesn't have the social graces of most of us because he spent his life learning his social interactions in a basement online. <clears throat> it's why he talks with a different accent um, because his friends, one's from Sweden, one's from Korea, one's from Australia, because he exists purely online. So his accent is, well, at least it was my attempt to be a combination <laughs> of all these accents of, around the world to be something totally unique so that you can't really pinpoint where he's from. It's an international English accent. Um, so he doesn't have a lot of experience with the real world. His Exactly. His he lives in his basement, and all of his interaction is through text, right? So he's missing, um, again, so it's almost like he's got Asperger's syndrome, but he doesn't. But it's, <laughs> you know, it, it seems that way because he, he lacks the experience and that he, everyone else has yeah, with social interaction. Yeah. He's also very honest, too. Yeah. You know, he'll say what's on his mind. And there are a lot of times that uh, can come across as <laughs> crude. Yeah. And Jeff, you play... <laughs> 
the Kyle, who's behind the camera. Mm-hmm. Uh, and character's uh, never seen on camera. He's well, you've been seen a couple of times, right, o- online? Yes, on the web series. Yeah. You get you get hints of Kyle and reflections that I can play with that aspect of, you know, oh, is that, it's like, oh, there's Kyle, oh, that kind of thing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I almost saw it. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, Kyle shows up in the, in the TV series, but not his face. Mm-hmm. Uh, he shows up here and there in reflections and, and such. Um, and that's, you know, that's when the, sometimes the, cu- the camera leaves Kyle's hand, but most of the time we're shooting the show from Kyle's point of view. And the theory is that um, he is a film school s- graduate and that he's now doing a, a documentary on his, his brother Jeremy and uh, he follows him around with the camera all day and talks from behind the camera and interacts with the characters with the camera. And what's not immediately obvious, but you'll notice as you sort of watch the series and get to know Jeremy, is that he, he, just, he just displays a lot of the, the traditional hero characteristics. He's very selfless um, sometimes, um, and uh, you know he, he doesn't have materialistic desires. He doesn't care about money. He really is very pure in spirit, and he helps his friends, and he pursues happiness at all costs. and And we sort of joke, you know, he's in some way a little bit Buddhist, you know, but uh, but he's not. He's not a bad guy at yeah. all. He's really not. At first, he's a little abrasive, and you have to get used to him. But then you start to see that you know he, he's really a good person and a smart person, and his his you know, his intuition is there, and, and his, his intentions are good. Um, but uh, he might have just played a few too many video games. <laughs> okay. Let's play. You guys ready? So, how, so you you actually, unlike most of um, the uh, the creators who come here, you've actually watched the show many times with an audience, right? We have. Um, not only private audiences in my living room, mm-hmm. I've screened it for all of my family and friends, <coughs> and uh, uh, you know, encouraged critical feedback. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we had a chance to screen it for our our hardcore web fans. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> on the twentieth, we had uh, we showed all the first four episodes, three before, three and four before they aired. Uh-huh. Right? Three and yeah. yeah, three and before before they aired. Um, so it was great. Uh, again, we used to, you know, we used to air our web episodes before we put them online to hundreds of people, and we kind of used them as uh, as a focus group a bit. If there was a harsh reaction to something, we still had a chance to remove it or okay, improve well, so, it. So one of the inter- really interesting things about the way you you came at this show is that most of us who were come to this from a TV background, we're used to getting notes from the network, which, of course, you are now, too. But um, you started off getting your notes from your audience, right? Like, Mm -hmm. you've built your show and shaped your show between yourselves and the audience. Is that... Yeah, it is true. Um, We were in a unique position. I'm not sure who else gets to air an episode, a single episode of a series... Then watch and have you know we had uh, feedback threads in our forums that would that go in hundreds of pages of feedback, so thousands of people posting their feedback about what they liked and what they don't like about Pureonage in general, about that episode or about the characters, and we could incorporate incorporate that, use it to our will in the future episodes, and we could correct what we think that they if they really hated something we could correct it or otherwise, but at the same time you really want to straight stay true to 
your vision and what you liked because uh, oftentimes, you know, the audience doesn't really know what they want. They think they want something, but I don't, I don't, I don't know if they always want to have the characters get together in the end. Where they want, they want what they think they want. Um, you got to take the feedback with a grain of salt, and you know. Uh, so yeah, when, when we were doing the web series, we used to we used to screen it in front of the live audience at the Dwarf Cinema, and then a few days later, put it up on the web. So we had the opportunity to re-edit it, cut a scene, add a scene, whatever. Um, we, we got to see where the laughs were, was really nice. But now, you know, in traditional television. Put it out there into this big black hole, and then you get this Nielsen. <laughs> it's like, oh, what part did they like? So I abuse my friends and family. <laughs> uh-huh. So, so you, so you've gone, you've re- kind of recreated that. I've tried to. <clears throat> I mean, <clears throat> during post-production, um, uh, especially close family members and friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'd show them early cuts uh, with with no information beforehand. I'd be like, sit down, watch this. Here you go. I'd say, blank slate, go in, what do you think? And be honest about it. And uh, and it was great to see some of their feedback. Moments that I was like, oh, I think we should cut that. And it would hit huge, and they'd be laughing. And it was so clear to me, like, oh, God, that would have been the worst decision ever. Um, and other moments that I thought were so funny that no one laughs at. And to this day, there's still moments. I think my favorite moments in almost all the episodes are moments that most people don't laugh at. They're the <laughs> really subtle moments. <clears throat> They're really obvious jokes. Yeah, they get the laughs. The boner gets the laughs. But uh, but the really subtle stuff. But you know maybe the subtle stuff comes out and repeat on the eighth view and the ninth view, which you know is something again we wrote with that in mind. We weren't trying to hit the audience the night it aired because that doesn't exist in the web. People are watching it all the time, and what's especially important on the web when you can watch it all the time and as many times as you want is is it rewatchable? Can you watch it over and over and over? So we used to hide stuff in the episodes. We'd hide a little character in the background, and then we could call back to it in a future episode and say, ha-ha, he was there. Look back to episode seven. He's in the background. And so people would start having to go back and rewatch the episodes to look for these Easter eggs, these gems inside the episodes. And we sort of played to that. Because that's more downloads, that's more views on a stream, uh, you, you know, having 100,000 people watch the episodes ten times is as good as having a million people watch it once, I guess. Um, so yeah, and we kind of kept that with the, with the web, the web uh, sort of with the TV show. A lot of really subtle humor there. Little lines you hear in the background during the Wow Raid in episode one. You know, little lines thrown. That there's no way you're catching it on your first time. There's no way. But when you watch it the second, third, fourth time, all of a sudden you hear something you never heard before, and then that sparks your interest. You think maybe there's other stuff I missed, and it makes you want to watch it more. Um, you know, I've been a big fan of, of hiding content for the fans. It really helps um, develop. I think it helps cultivate this sort of cult fan base, right? Of, of what else have I missed? It adds a mysterious element to it. Yeah. Okay, so what? Uh, so what are the other secrets that you learned while you were producing this on the web? Like, what other little things did you learn along the way? It's very hard to write something down, funny jokes, and turn it into money. <laughs> <laughs> as, as simply as I learned that that's extremely hard. Um, and I think that you no, know, now that we're writing in a more professional environment, I'm, I'm thankful for a lot of the, ma- the machinery that exists that helps turn great ideas into finished product and allows the money to be distributed among everyone who made it. Because for us, I mean, we struggled hard. You know, we were selling T-shirts, we were doing anything we can, and and even then, I think with the amount of viewers we had, the amount of money we made was nowhere near what it would have been if that same amount of viewers was on television because the machinery wasn't there to help us. There was no advertising dollars there to help us because no one respected Internet eyeballs. <coughs> they only respected television eyeballs. <coughs> and, uh, you know, we experimented with product, product placement and we focused heavily on merchandising. But if I've learned anything, is that it's hard to make money. 
It's really, really, really hard. That's what the Writers Guild is for. <laughs> and that's why I love the Writers Guild. We're so glad to hear that. Yeah, no, honestly. <clears throat> yeah, no, it, it really is amazing. You should really appreciate it if you don't. And do you it's have hard. a dental plan now? <laughs> I was at the dentist <laughs> this morning. Thank you, WGC. Thank you. Um, for the first time in five years, I'm visiting the dentist again, and I and uh, and I feel like I have a steady backing. Do you know that you get massages too? No, no, I didn't know that. Yeah, part. you just get a note from your doctor, and we cover eighty percent with a, <laughs> just just you know, but 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 you know, do you feel like there's any kind of a trade-off in in the um, in the creative freedom? Yeah, I mean, inherently there there has to be, you know. Um, you know, like that episode, I think the first cut was was 25 and a half minutes. And if I could have aired that, I would have aired 25 and a half minutes. That, to me, in my mind, was the perfect pacing. It had all the jokes. There were scenes cut that were very funny. Um, but at the end of the day, you need to make it 22 minutes on the frame, like literally down to the frame. And it is the most painful thing I've ever experienced creatively is cutting stuff that you know is so good. And you're like, what's the worst of the good stuff? What can we cut so that they can fit in more commercials? Mm-hmm. That breaks my heart as an artist is to cut my stuff so they can fit in Tide commercials. So, so the the um, the products we saw on the shelf in the supermarket are they placed? They are everything we needed permit. They, they weren't paid placements. They aren't paid no. placements. Uh, maybe in future seasons when we have that kind of legitimacy. But right now, it was please. <laughs> Uh-huh. Can we please use real products because it means so much to us to not have fake products because we want the universe to feel real. We want Coca-Cola, not some, I don't know what they use on Friends, whatever, cola. But it brought me out of the universe. As soon as you watch Friends and, and Ross pounds back some fake cola, you know, doesn't exist. It pulls me out. I want to see Coke. I want to see real products so that I know the universe that they may or may not exist in my world, right? Well, that, that's what we, we absolutely had to do that for the games. You know, for this kind of show, you could not have them playing generic bleep and bleep. You had to show the screens. You had to show what game. You had to talk about the games. So uh, one of our co-producers, Stephen Langell, spent a lot of time getting game clearances from every single game publisher we could get our hands on. And so you'll see there's a variety of games, NHL, hockey. We've got uh, got World of Warcraft. We've got uh, Starcraft, Call of So The big key ones. Yeah, the important ones. And luckily, like, we were, as writers, we were in a real bind because we were writing... You know, the show that had dialogue to, to, that was about the game, and we didn't know, are we going to get clearance? Are they going to sign the contract and let us use this? And then even Blizzard, the, the biggest uh, game developer in the world, and it's the most successful game, World of Warcraft, um, they, you know, they, they, they were on, on the fence, and they also wanted, you know, we finally did get them, but they wanted approval of where we seen uh, so we had to sort of write it, send them the scripts, they go, okay, then shoot it, send them the footage, they go, okay. And every time we do that, we'd be holding our breath um, because, uh, you know, we can't be reshooting stuff. Yeah, uh, <laughs> they don't know that. You know, um, and going over budget. But it was really, they were really amazing. In episode one, yeah. we have a World of Warcraft raid with 25 people that was staged. It's a screen footage from a video game that was staged by 25 Blizzard employees in a room to actually produce this footage for us. So, you know, they really bent over backwards in the end and got us some amazing footage. And, uh, yeah, so at the end of episode one, there's an action sequence of the raid that I think it really came together really well. That is authentic video <coughs> games. And, uh, and, again, on the web, it, we had more of a, you know, a, a don't ask, don't tell policy with our video game footage. So we got to use whatever we wanted. Um, no one on the web thinks you really make money. No one's going to try to sue you. 
television is a different story. So, uh, so does anybody have any questions here? Yeah, Kathleen. Exactly. Yeah, and in fact, yeah, this property, Pure Orange, happens to be very merchandisable because it's like an underground indie band. And it has to do with, it's one of the few shows, if not you know, the only you know, mainstream show now, that has to do with authentic gaming culture and authentic web culture. So, you know, people are proud to wear their Pure Orange gear and it identifies them. And, you know, when you're at that age, when you want to wear your favorite band shirt and let everybody know that you love Led Zeppelin, it's that kind of a that kind of a thing going on with uh, with our fans, and, and also it's the support. You know, yeah. I would say, <clears throat> you know, like a particular show on the web would be like Led Zeppelin, but what we had going for us is that we were, we were like indie music, like the genre, like the whole thing. Um, it was gaming. Uh, we didn't just make shirts that said "I love Pironage" on them, and I watched the show Pironage. We made our shirts specifically to be "I love playing games." We knew we didn't make shirts that said "Here's our show." We made shirts that said, we understood our audience. That our, the people that watch our show are gamers. Let's make shirts that gamers want to wear, not just shirts with our logo on them. Um, so if you have a show that you know people that like gardening like to wear, don't just make shirts that say, I love the show about gardening. Make shirts that a gardener would think is funny, that a gardener would like to wear proudly, that have flowers or plants. And that was the, that was the state of mind, is that we don't just make shirts for our show. We make them for gamers, our audience. And uh, I think that's what helped us a lot. All right, so before we come to this, I want you to tell the story of how you came to be on television. Like, how did you make that transition from web series to TV? It's a long, arduous process. Long. <laughs> well, first, we, we, we met with Showcase in 2005. We actually got a meeting. Um, Dev and our, this co-producer I mentioned earlier uh, got us a meeting with a bunch of VPs at, at, at Alliance Atlantis, which, which is now Time West. And, um, you know, we were a bunch of, Young guys doing internet television, and we didn't know the first thing about the television business. And here we are meeting with these guys that you know, they literally told us at the beginning of the meeting, I don't know how you guys got this meeting. So, <laughs> like, who, who the hell are you? Like, but it was actually. With, was actually, with the foot on the desk. It was so epic. It was right out of a film. Just yeah. bang! But, who are you guys? How'd you get Because Davin knew somebody <laughs> that knew um, whoever guy that, so the guy that owned a third of the company at the time, that he was, he was some super high up guy at Alliance Atlantis. Name is escaping me right now, but uh, so we had this meeting, and uh, at the meeting, you know, we talked about what we're doing. I said, "Look, you know, we've got all these eyeballs watching our web show. Millions of people watch our show. Um, you know, and this this was 2005. And we talked to them about their web strategy. And, you know, this is Alliance Atlantis's you know, uh, internet strategy. And, and I said to them, I said, do, do you know that there's millions of people watching Trailer Park Boys online or stealing? And they're all from the states, the UK, Australia. There's millions of people watching Trailer Park Boys online, and they had no idea." <laughs> they, they, because they, they, they didn't know the significance of the, of the peers and seeds on the torrent sites and all this, and they, yeah. they didn't know it was a huge international hit. But of course, it's not their business to broadcast internationally. Um, but you know, they, they had no web strategy at the time. And, you know, they had they were working on a website that was going to stream their content, and then uh, they abandoned 
I was a little surprised, but you know, big companies move slow, they have to adapt properly, they gotta come out the gates with something big, and you know, so I, I understood that, but um, after after talking to them for a bit, uh, they, we ended up meeting with uh, Tara, Alice, and Stevie Finney from Showcase, that, uh, you know, but the problem was we, we would talk to them, and uh, as you may know, uh, broadcasters are looking for a turnkey solution. They want to say, okay, here's a letter, go get all the money, we'll, we'll put in this much money, make the show happen, put it all together. And obviously, we couldn't do that as web producers. We had the experience in television, didn't know the first thing about the, the way to run a real television production company. So it wasn't until we had our executive producers on board, uh, Lana and Catherine Kate, um, that they provided us the infrastructure, the contacts, um, and sort of you know, taught us how to do this. Um, but, yeah. Um, how, did, how did you come to Ron Mann? Uh, Ron Mann, uh, his son came up to a booth at the New York Comic Con and said, oh, I love the show, Dad. And he said, what's the show? And he said, oh, it's a big internet show that everyone's watching. So then Ron Mann got us in touch with Catherine and then went from there and started meeting with Showcase again. So, But uh, earlier on, uh, you know, uh, Showcase earlier on didn't really know what to do with us. Um, you know, it's not like we're coming off the street and they're writing to us on property and they're just going to you know, make this thing for television. It's like, you know, they, they were asking questions like, well, it works on the web. What does that mean? Does it mean that people are going to watch on TV? You know, or does it mean, you know, what do we do? How do we fit this web series? Do we broadcast the old stuff? Uh, how do we incorporate the, the, webs, the existing web, web shows into our broadcast network? All these questions, you know, it was, it was a complicated thing. How do we fit? And, and I think we just didn't fit into the machinery. Um, we had to change ourselves to fit into this traditional television machinery. And that's what we ended up doing when we got the show. We ended up having a development deal. We had a story editor to teach us how to write for TV. Um, you know, we started writing scripts that were, you know, a partial reboot of the show. We kind of took some elements and left some elements from the web series. And uh, we said, look, we want to do Grant. And then we got a phone call one day saying, should we go get a green light and, and go to it? And eight episodes later, here we are. So did your idea of what a story is or was for the change when you moved to television, like the shape of a story for TV? Uh, I suppose so because it was very freeform. It's like a bunch of sort of freeform experimental art kind of, you know, uh, webisodes, I guess. Um, there, there are, in, in the web series, there were so many storylines going on at the same time. It was really, like we talked about earlier, it was however long we wanted it to be. Um, it didn't really fit into this this tight package of sort of rebooting every episode and tying up the story and having a beginning, middle, and end. We didn't think about that when we were doing the web series. We would sort of write, have jokes, have ideas, have a story to tell, and then at the end, we'd you know, play it through in our heads and say, is that an episode? Yeah, that's an episode. Okay, that's end of failure. And uh, you know, that was very, very organic. It like, kind of grew, and it shows. You know. Did you watch a lot of TV yeah. when you were making, this, making it for the web? Um, a, a fair amount. I mean, uh, a lot of film. A lot too. of film. Yeah, yeah, a lot of film. So you, both uh, those things sort of shaped yeah, your storytelling. Then yeah, I, to, I don't. I don't watch a lot of Canadian television <clears throat> or a lot of the the typical comedy stuff. Uh, I, you know, I'm into <laughs> HBO stuff. I like Six Feet Under and Sopranos. A lot of really epic stuff, I guess, which doesn't seem at all like Pierrons. But I think so. You, you were you Tim? So now this is this is not completely episodic like there's an arc through yeah. the season right it, mm -hmm. now did you arc out a whole se the whole season at the beginning uh showcase made us yeah <laughs> there's a loose arc it, it doesn't have the sort of epic epic storytelling element that that the web series had um it's it was important for everyone us two that that 
if you can watch any episode at any moment and not feel like you're missing out or that you're not getting it, you, know, you don't want to feel like you're missing something when you jump into an episode. Just like Seinfeld, you can turn on any, any episode of Seinfeld, you go, and you can laugh your ass off, and you'll never once feel like, oh, I'm missing something. I'm missing out. Oh, it's too bad I didn't see that other episode. So the web series had a lot of that. It was a pretty epic story, but we needed yeah. that to keep people hooked. Right. Um, now that we're delivering it, you know, it's 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 not you know it's an act, and, you know they don't actively have to go find it. They can passively be delivered. You you can pull back on some of that. You can make a little every episode a little more accessible. So that was important. So it's much more <coughs> a lean back experience in terms of the of the, the meta story, yeah, or any you know the story that, that takes it in the, the series arc, yeah. Okay, so we had some questions. You have a question, yeah? I was just wondering, or did you have to do anything sort of to adjust for potential fan backlash now that you're no longer completely in it? Uh, there was a lot of a lot of negativity, a lot of haters, but a lot of positivity too. But there will always be, you know, weeks I kind of had the noise floor of, 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 of haters. You know, there will always be somebody. You change something, you do something a little bit different. There's always somebody saying, you know, sell out or this or that. Especially on the internet. Yeah, especially on the internet. Because, you know, people tend to go to uh, flame. Differently oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, it was, you know, there was a lot of, you know, we didn't necessarily, uh, we, we wanted to write a show that appealed to both existing fans and And so, what was the feedback from the new, from the uh, the fan base? Overwhelmingly positive. Overwhelmingly positive. Um, which you know, I will admit, I'm surprised. Um, I'm well, I'm a pessimist by nature, but uh, I had expected that the first few episodes there would be this transition period where they're not used to the formula. They've watched the web series for six years. They've seen 18 episodes. They have a um, some standard in their mind of how the characters behave, the types of stories we tell, how we tell them, um, and they have expectations. Most TV viewers coming to a brand new show that's never aired before, have, they have no expectations. These people have expectations about how everyone should be and how, how the, whole, the, the, the whole story should be. Um, so I expected when their expectations weren't met and they saw that, oh, here we go, the characters, you know, it's a little more ensemble, there's the hangout, there's the whatever, some of the classic TV elements were put in place. I thought they'd be losing their mind. Um, but you know what? I think they were just so happy for us and to see more Pironage and to see a new type of Pironage that... Uh, yeah, it was really positive. You don't think it gives them legitimacy, too? Yeah, you know, maybe it does. Because there's some people that hate an underground band when it goes indie. They're like, oh, you know, that's my favorite band. Until it's big, I hate that band. Then a lot of people are like, I was on that band first, man. Dude, I was the first guy ever li- to listen to Zeppelin. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, a lot of them have that kind of element. Bragging like, Dude, pff, fans since 2004, whatever. Pff, whatever. Well, yeah. the difference in this case is that they can actually back up their claim because <laughs> you can register on a form for a join date. Right, and also the original AVIs, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The original, the original uncut episode ones people still have, right? Yeah. So that's pretty good. So Kathleen again. Forms, which is all about gaming. There's the Pure Owners forums, which is all about Pure Owners and gaming and all 
So it's a pretty standard thing to have a, a place to discuss your episodes to give feedback and some place where the creators, you know, poke around now and then and post now. And it, it's a hub for our community. Uh, you know, people, it's, it's it's quite a large, how many registered users do we have now? Like 60,000. 60,000. And, you know, people, it's, they become friends. They game together online because of the love for the show and the love for gaming. You know, a lot of them end up dating and, they, you know, they move in together and they break <laughs> off on the forums and then, they, you know, it's big kind of thing. all the time. Like, yeah. you know, it's like any community, right? <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's funny you mention it because um, I think, you know, our forums was one of our earlier error, errors that we identified that was an error early on. But we uh, we resisted having forums or any hub for our community if you Early on, our our idea, our understanding was that we want people to talk about our show elsewhere, so that they drive people to our site. If everyone comes to our site that already knows about our site and talks about it on our site, then how do new people find out about it? If everyone who already knows the show only talks about it with other people who already know the show, that was the old days before there was and embedding. And that's a bad idea, by the way. If it's good in theory, <laughs> bad idea. Like nurture your community. Yeah. This, this, one Put of the some things I should up. say about the audience. Uh, this is interesting in our case. Is that on the web series, um, the majority of our audience, I think 47%, is in the U.S. Um, then it's Canada, then it's Australia, U.K., uh, Scandinavian countries, Germany, and the list goes on and on. So we can actually track very accurately with our web tracking and see where the fans are watching the show. As of now, the show is only broadcast in Canada because of limitations of the business model of traditional television. So the number one complaint that we get online on our forums and our Facebook fan pages, how come I can't see this in my country? You know, when is, uh, when is, and people don't understand the way it works. They blame Showcase. They think the Showcase. Or us. We yeah, blame the creators sometimes. They're not putting on TV in other countries. Yeah. Like, well, you know, I, I believe me. Oh, come on. It's <laughs> on the torrent to. stream, isn't it? You know, it is, but uh, I'm not allowed to, to Twitter the torrent links. Um, <laughs> but but surely your fan I can base them. can. <laughs> I can't so, Twitter so it. They're finding some way. It's a very popular show internationally. People are watching this television show internationally to feel legitimate need. Um, 17% of our audience is from Canada. So 83% of our international audience is stealing the show because they have no legitimate means to see it. But that, surely that just means foreign sales will happen. I well, hope so. Uh, the thing is is that the people buying the show internationally um, have so far not yet been convinced. Um, it doesn't mean anything to anybody, to most people we've interacted with in the traditional business, that you have an online web series audience. That is bizarre. It is. Well, it's bizarre, for, but you know, people uh, they are <coughs> very traditional when it comes to business and throwing around money. You know, they they want to do it the way, the tried and true way that they've been doing it. And I, I and it's working out really strongly. well for them these days. Oh, don't yeah, you isn't think? it though? <laughs> NBC's <laughs> rocking. Well, you know, I, I I feel very strongly that we will get the same per capita viewership given the same time slot, same amount of promotion in any country in accordance with our web traffic. Like, the fans are there. They're waiting to see it in the United States, but nobody has bought the show in the States. But they have actually, they've separated internet eyeballs from television eyeballs. No joke, in meetings, we have witnessed that separation as though the human beings behind the computer are different somehow fundamentally from the human beings behind a television. Um, they're just different people somehow. Their eyeballs don't matter. It's a little bit of a bummer. It really, <laughs> is. it really is because, you know, you would think you guys would have some cred. Yeah, but we came in with no cred. We're trying to build our cred now in the traditional business. But, uh-huh. uh, but you know what? They'll, they'll, they're, it seems like it's a moving target, right? Because yeah. it's all going back online now. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, yeah, we'll, we'll see. In the next 10 years, I think there's going to be entirely new ways to, to consume media that are internet 
think that there's going to be a shift that has to be because the young people are not even going to want to program their PBIs, let alone you know, go at a certain time to a television to see. It's, it is a ridiculous notion to the young people nowadays, and they're going to grow up with that same notion. They're not going to change and suddenly start planning their lives around TV. Well, it's, it's impossible. You know, and if you go even younger than your fan base, right, like mm -hmm. the kids who are coming up now, they're going to grow up with the iPad where they won't even have a keyboard, you know? I mean, like their whole <laughs> concept yeah. of what, you know, is a, a, an yeah. entertainment it's device is going to be now. completely different. Yeah, yeah. T t TV shows will have release times. So, it's, you know, it's, it's not when you have to sit down and watch it. It's the earliest you can. Okay, so now what are you doing on the web for the show? Well, we have uh, we did a production blog, a series of ten production blogs. There's a whole there's a whole web component to the show, so we can just kind of lead up to the show. We release a new video every week of what was behind the scenes. So we took our characters, and uh, you know the characters are now making the TV show. So mm -hmm. uh, it was a little, it was fun to make. Uh, now we are actually uh, doing a series of fifteen mailbag, you know, interacting with the fans through a video blog, uh, that kind of thing. There's also on online games. There's a revamp of our website all this kind of stuff that we could do because of the TV show. Okay, so, um, uh, you know, I don't want to get too much into your deal, but are you, are those rights severed for you? Can you do whatever you want on the web, or is that still under the auspices of the uh, network? It gets a little legally complicated, mm -hmm. um, but we did separate um, all pre-existing web universe and characters. I'll sort of that. And, and television stuff. So we do. Uh, we we have we have retained the freedom to continue the web series. We just can't use October and um, Simon and the characters that are developed exclusively for the TV series. Um, and we can still do whatever we want with those characters. In fact, feature films, um, other TV shows, anything we want with what we started with on the web, we we did retain. Um, and, and you know, there's there's a, there's a delineation between Pureowners.com and Pureowners.com/tv. So the slash TV is the showcase stuff. Um, it's all about the TV show, and Pureowners.com is sort of the whole Pureowners, the web series, the TV show, all everything we've done. But the web stuff you do, like the webisodes you did, your pre-production blog and stuff, those were like really short little... Really short clips, yeah. Little, not the, the, your style stuff. That yeah, it's was, not the web series. Yeah. It's web shorts is, is are the, the, the terminology so we use to differentiate. I'm them. going to guess that they didn't totally come out of your head, but they were shaped by other people's uh, strategies. It was um, it was a part of the television package. Uh -huh. It was um, the television package didn't just include eight episodes; it included eight episodes and twenty-five web shorts. Uh -huh, okay. That's how broadcasters think now because they're applying a very traditional mindset to online content. So uh -huh. now, when they want to buy episodes, they want to buy an online portion. Um, and now, and were, were those the, the lengths of those shorts predetermined? No, no, no. they were they were roughly roughly three to four minutes. Three to yeah. four minutes. Okay. Um, so I want to. They were shot okay. independently, so we, we didn't do them with a union crew. So they were shot uh, separate, completely from the, the television show. Okay, well we won't talk about that now because yeah. we're talking so <laughs> much, so much love towards the writers guild. We'll just <laughs> pretend everything is union. Um, so uh, I want to talk to you guys about being writers. Are you a writing team? Do you always write together? Because you had a writing credit together here. Yeah. We've all, always only ever written together so far. Uh -huh. um, but we're two individual human beings. <laughs> I assume in the future we'll write other things as well and other things together as well. Okay, so, and what, what was your writing process like when you were writing this as a TV show? Did you, like, did you break story in a room with other writers? 
Uh, well, first of all, you get together and you talk about the latest games. Yeah, uh-huh. step one. Two hours. And then how okay. you, then, uh, you, you did online the night before. You start strategies a little bit. <laughs> and then you're like, hey, oh, I had, by the way, I had an idea for scene, uh, this thing. And then, uh, uh, so yeah, we jam out ideas generally. Uh, for the TV show, we jammed them out with our, our story editor and showrunner. Um, and then, you know, I, I think uh, we once we have, we, we start outlines and, you know, we try to improve on each other's ideas and then we'll have an idea for scene. And they'll say, oh, no, no, we, 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 you know, do it this way and with this twist. And we'll, we'll be changing up and we'll get better and better and we'll be really excited about it. It's all about getting excited, uh, writing a, a comedy, and then uh, and then yeah, and then we kind of you know say okay, you take Act One, we'll take Act Two, and uh-huh. on our, on our separate flush it out. So so out. you wrote you you what you did was trade acts. So you didn't sit in the same room and yeah. write together. We, we, have a, we have a good story structure in mind. We have a great outline for the episode, mm-hmm. and then uh, no. Uh, I mean, it's very. The, the web show was very skeleton script. There's a lot of improvisation. We had that kind of freedom. The TV show, no, we would uh, we would separate. Um, you know, I just, you know, I'm I'm not the only one, I'm sure. But I work best by myself in my underwear, uh, mm-hmm. glass of scotch, and uh, my keyboard. You know. Okay. Well, because I mean, we talk to different writer, different writing teams, and there are different ways styles. So I always like to get to your stuff, and then you trade. Do you trade access? That would happen. Yes. Yeah, we go we go through each other's stuff. Jared always does a Jeremy pass. I do a Jeremy, <laughs> Jeremy dialogue. Says it out loud and pretends to be Jeremy. It's like, oh, yeah, that's the way. That's what I like. The likes move around. likes move around. Uh-huh. Okay. And so um, so let's just talk about, like, the process with the network and everything. So did you have to pitch stories to them, like a paragraph pitch or something? Yeah, you know, uh, generally the, the notes were very light from um, the network. And in fact, we pitched uh, – Eight stories, you know, and they just went check. They went check on eight, yeah. Okay, yeah. so you so, and, and did and you do? Our, our no, was, yeah. Like, I can't believe this. Yeah, <laughs> you know, we had no experience with like, this, so we're like, what? Like, you know, we're like, okay, these are eight stories. Like, cool, those are eight stories. Like, cool, thanks. And then our showrunner's like, what? <laughs> they never said no to anything. You're like, no, I aren't they good? You think they're bad? It's like, no, I'm, they don't care if they're good or bad. They just gotta say no sometimes. Um, and our whole process was like that, um, you know, because we're working with people who have tremendous experience. Showcase insisted on it because they knew that we're coming in with such an indie guerrilla background. They wanted to make sure we're surrounded by people that had some experience. Yeah. No one could believe uh, the, the lack of notes on our scripts. They really let us go. They, they really uh, – I think partially because they didn't understand <laughs> <laughs> the scripts. They didn't – I don't know if they understood what made the web series so cool. They just know that it, it, made, it, was, it was cool and there was this cult yeah. following. So they trusted us, which was really cool. I'm showcase. So you did have some cred, at least in the creative. You know, they did. Um, at the start, I didn't think we had very much, but it, it turned out that throughout the course that that, uh, that they really did. They they did trust us. Okay, so so you 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 did you did uh, like sort of paragraph pitches and then outlines. Yep. So how long were your outlines? Would you say? Uh, well, episode four was our longest. That was 11 pages. Over a third of the total end-up script length was our yeah. outline because it was so, um, well, there were so many scenes. It was so intense. Plus, that first cut was like 27 and a half minutes. For, uh, I'm sorry, that was, that was episode three. But episode four was like uh-huh. extremely long. It should have okay. been way longer. Um, but some of them were as little yeah, as two and a half pages. Yeah. Yeah. Seven, okay. Seven and and uh, how long did the scripts run about? 32 pages. 32 pages. So you were pretty fast. Pretty fast shooting. Um, how many scenes? We always get oh, these I, stats. I it's Where's Mike Daniels? 
Where's a writer's assistant? Yeah, I don't know. Okay. Always three yeah. acts, tease and, tease and tag. Tease and tag. So, so, so and, what, and how closely did you stick to script? Very close, actually. Because, you know, yeah. the actors and, and also, you know, Joel was around reading the scripts. We used to send – Joel was the guy that plays FDS Doug. He would read the scripts, too. So, um, you know, pretty much – also, the, all the main characters we've been writing for for so many years, so we knew exactly how they would talk and what they would say. So, yeah, it was, it was, it was surprisingly close. Well, we did sneak in. I mean, episode three is, is more so than any other episode in the entire first season. has a lot of improvised moments. Uh, Samir, the director of that episode um, – he was he was really pro that he really wanted to you know get through the the written dialogue as fast as possible and if we could ever squeeze in time he'd want us he'd always encourage the actors to, to improvise some stuff and a lot of those moments came came in at the end so I'm happy because the web series was more based on on that that sort of stuff but uh, yeah at the end of the day I mean it's 95 percent what was on the script uh, throughout the, the season which is uh, different than what we're used to but I think again our script was so solid that you know so that so that was was that a different um, like um Discipline for you as a performer? Oh yeah, yeah. It was it was uh, it was quite different actually, but I always felt it really worked because in the meta story, in the meta universe, Jeremy is acting. <laughs> <laughs> Jeremy in the web show is acting in the TV show, and I wanted I, I consciously wanted to differentiate the characters. I wanted to make sure that the web Jeremy, a as a producer, I thought that um, the web Jeremy wouldn't work as well. He needs to be faster paced. TV is a lot faster. Um, and I always thought that in the web show, too much of his character was determined by me and Jeff drinking beer, having fun, not enough conscious, <laughs> you know, thought. And he's more of a, the TV show is more of an energy drinking, high, really quick-minded gamer. Um, in the web show, he's a little more foobari. He's a little more laid back, more relaxed. Um, so it's the, the TV series is that guy acting. Is what I've tried to do. And I might, I might have drank more caffeine in those how many, three months. How there. many days did you shoot each episode? Four. Four days. And so, was there any block shooting, or was it, you know, uh, yeah, it was episode, two, yeah, two episodes two at a time, at and a four time. at a time. Yeah. And so, how did you guys divide your time? I mean, were you writing while you were shooting? It was brutal. Um, especially at the start, we didn't finish. We didn't nail all the scripts and the final versions until almost halfway through, until we got to like episode five, I think, in shooting. So for us personally, as a performer, it was the most stressful thing ever. And to this day, I will never be happy with all my performances. But I think every performer feels that way. You're never happy. But uh, I had almost no time to rehearse at all. Um, so I was actually reading my lines uh, in the transport van on the way there in the morning. Uh, the good thing is, is that I wrote them, <laughs> or at least Jeff did, and I looked at them a hundred times, and, you know, you're familiar with them. But uh, at the same time, it kind of sucked to get on stage, and all these other actors have spent all night reading their lines, and they've pr practiced their expressions, and here I am trying to improvise it quickly because we were rewriting, or we're worrying about, I'm watching the dailies. You know, we, have, we had so many things on our plate producing the show that uh, I don't know how we did it. I didn't well, really you know, sleep. We, we, we were the one of the few guys that didn't have weekends, right? Like, you know, I scrambling to get the music together for, <coughs> for the episodes. A lot of the music was live playback, so, you know, you had to have the music done before. So it was just, like, recording all weekend, and then, you know, uh, uh, sitting in the editing room with the editors. I couldn't be on set some days because I was editing. But so you weren't, always, you weren't always on set? Um, no, no, I, I, 
missed missed a few days because we just were a few days. Our, <coughs> coming, uh, but coming the so, but do you deliver your lines live on set or or uh, most of the time? Yeah, most we did, of the we time. Did, uh, we did do uh, every we flagged every line that I had in ADR because you can ADR yeah. editing. And there's always room for improvement and delivery. So I'd say about half is original, half is ADR of Kyle's mm-hmm. lines. And it's important for the actors on set to have someone. So yeah. someone has to read the lines to have. Yeah, but the appropriate yeah. reaction, yeah. Yeah. And so so um so I I know you had a showrunner involved in the series, but you guys really had a lot of creative control at every level. Were yeah. you at casting? Uh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, we were in casting. You know what's funny, it wasn't until after the show ended that I even realized that showrunner is actually often referred to as head writer. Uh-huh. Um Derek was really cool. It didn't really work like that. Um, but yeah, no, we were involved, in, uh, again, you know, as producers on the project, every, we hired everyone, uh, including all the actors. So, um, you know, first we had to, you know, met with all the directors, and Showcase was very picky about directors. They wanted to make sure that they gave the show the legs it needed, really quality directors. I think we must have interviewed, oh, God, like 25-plus directors to get the four that we used. And, and you know, uh, they wouldn't look at anybody. They wouldn't let us interview anybody that didn't have, like, an amazing Huge resume. resume. Huge. Yeah. So um, they really wanted to balance out our nudeness. Yeah, no, they really did. They really did, and, and that that extended all the way to costume design. And I'm like, costume design. The guy wears the same T-shirt and a bandana every episode. His best friend is bald, has no hair. <laughs> I mean, and there's this huge hair and makeup. Who's gonna do your hair and makeup? Um, but it was I'm great that they took it so seriously. I mean, it was a big investment on their part. They want to make sure we're not gonna mess it up. Um, yeah, funny moments. More questions out here? Yeah. I'm, I'm wondering, like, uh, given your experiences and all that you've learned and uh, how things have changed now, would you ever do this again? Like, would you ever launch a new show on the web? Um, I, I don't know because, you know, given that we, we you know, have careers in the traditional business and can, you know, get things done a lot faster with a talented crew and have, you know, a lot of great people on board. Really, it was just, you know, the two-man show or three-man show doing the web series. And we wore a lot of hats, and that's very exhausting, too. Um, but, uh, you know, it's tough making money on your own. Like, I know now the funding sources are changing their policies, but um, our, sh- our web show is a linear narrative and therefore is not, or was not, I don't know if they changed, Telephone's changes, um, uh, eligible for funding uh, for, from Telephone. So we, we had to pound the pavement and make our own money and sell our own shirts. Um, even though the, the mandate of Telephone was to, the, in, in the first paragraph, the mandate it says, we want to export and nurture Canadian culture and Canadian talent. Well, you know, it's most 82% of our viewers are, are we're international and we're exporting Canadian culture, but Telephone wouldn't give us any money because it was not interactive. So that was a little bit of a thorn on our side for a number of, of years. And, but it was good because then we learned how to monetize it ourselves and we were able to do that. Um, I think now, you know, being used to such a faster-paced production and, and having people that do things for you um, <laughs> might be difficult to go back yeah. to that. But again, there's, there's the freedom of doing something independently. Um, you know, uh, just uh, streamlining the process and getting your hands dirty in every aspect was very entertaining. I was doing everything from editing, directing, uh, t-shirt design. <laughs> so do you miss you know. directing? Uh, yeah, I, I, I'd say so. You know, um, you know, On a TV show, if you wanted a shot, all you had to do was just tell the director, hey, let's shoot it this way for you know, hopefully we have enough time. 
But um, you know, I, I really, uh, yeah, I, I really enjoyed the, the Life from the Life series. But um, I don't know if I would have time to be the producer, director, doing the music, all the stuff that I did. I don't know if I would be, have time if I had to write something on my plate uh, to do the season two of the show. But again, Showcase was very, really cool about that. And when we did finally narrow down my director, our director said this very short list. We met with them with Showcase, and Showcase, which is great, they didn't come from us, made it very clear to them that these two guys here, it's their vision. You're going to listen to them on set. We were producers on set. We weren't just actors, writers on set. We were producers. And at the end of the day, we got the shots that we we wanted. And uh, and we did, you know, our fair, shit, fair bit of, you know, directing and pushing uh, behind the scenes and showcase encouraged that. And wa- well, they wanted it from us. They wanted to make sure that we were getting what, what we wanted. Um, so that was great. I mean, it was really great. But, uh, but you know, bottom line is, um, you're going to be, if you're doing independent web content, you're going to have to bust your ass to make money. You might even not make money. Um, and it's a lot of work. Like, it's, you know, it's, it's a, I think it's a luxury to be able to make a living as an entertainer, as an artist, you know, to make art for a living. I will always, because we pounded the pavement for so many years, we did six years of, you know, getting our, you know, getting this project off the ground and monetizing it. You start as artists, you have a vision, and you're like, here's, you have scripts, you have ideas, you want to make this. Five years later, you ask yourself, am I a T-shirt vendor? <laughs> but, but, you know, I mean, realistically, everybody who comes in here has had their project, has been working on their project for five or six or ten years. I mean, it do- doesn't go like that in mm-hmm. TV either, you know. But they haven't been making it all this yeah. time. And they and haven't it, been building audience. And so uh, I think that... Um, you know, it does take a long time to develop. And TV you need series. a business instinct. Yeah. Which, unfortunately, a lot of the most creative, you can be a genius creatively and have no business instinct because your brain is so focused on creating universes and gorgeous characters and interactions and stories. But if you don't know how to sign up for an eBay account, if you don't know how to get PayPal working, if you don't know how to sell, how to buy products and sell them, you're not going to be able to sustain your lifestyle. And you're going to have to go be a waiter. You're going to have to be something else. And that's what really sucks. And that's where the WGC comes in <laughs> and, <laughs> and helps you know, leverage the existing machinery to allow people to do just creative things, which is, I think, probably all of our dreams, which is to just be creative and just play in our heads all day and use our imaginations that we were very lucky enough to be born with. And, uh, and that's been our goal. But like I said, you know, that's how it started. And five years later, we found ourselves. And, I, and honestly, without a joke, you know, I would say 80% of our time, four years into Pure was spent on business, business development, managing the t-shirt store, t-shirt development. It was not creating. It wasn't writing. It wasn't acting. It wasn't editing. It wasn't anything creative. It was It was the, the things that I told myself I'd never be doing. Marketing. Marketing. Accounting. I was like Googling marketing, learning about oh, yeah, target demographics. Oh yeah, And then I, I'm like, why am I doing this? Shouldn't someone be doing this for me? Shouldn't I be spending my time making more shows and more characters? All right, um, let's get another question, Philip. So it seems you've learned so much through this whole process. If you would offer advice for anybody starting a web series today, what would that be? I'd probably avoid the 25-minute web length. I'd, I'd shoot to start in the three- to four-minute range um, what we centralize your traffic don't try to rely on YouTube and other streaming sources the more people you can bring to your home your website the more people you can sell t-shirts to because that's where your store is and that's where you are as a business and an entity um, if you just piggyback off existing services like YouTube and sign up for a YouTube account or sign up for a blip account you'll make some money 
but probably not enough to sustain a crew that could actually produce the, keep producing the show. Uh-huh. Yeah, a blip account, you mean? You, but you didn't host your video eventually, did you? Uh, we originally, our fans did. We used BitTorrent. Um, yeah, so our fans, okay. And then, and then we did. We used secondary services like Blip to stream it. To but stream otherwise, it, yeah. um, it would be donated bandwidth. Uh, fans would run servers. Uh, like the CTO of Shaw was a huge fan, and he put us right on the backbone, and he'd be uploading like a terabyte a second for us. Um, fans really came through and helped us out. Yeah, uh-huh, okay. With distributing it. So there was some crowdsourcing then. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, yeah crowdsourcing is a big, <laughs> big part of it. But, um, <laughs> you know, if, if you wanted to make a web series, there's a, there's, a, there's a lot of example web series out there you can look at. Uh, one is The Real of Felicia Davis. She's in L.A. Um, she's a, an, an actor that turned writer and started you know, turned the camera on herself, got a little crew together. And um, she was able to uh, get her show out there on YouTube uh, because it's about gaming and it kind of went viral in the, in the gaming communities. She ended up getting millions of views on YouTube. And she actually told me about her strategies about how she used YouTube uh, to promote her show, she would know exactly what time to upload the video. Then she'd tweet to all of her fan base saying, watch it now. And then she'd know that it would get in the top ten featured in her category. She knew which categories to pick that had the least competition on the YouTube classification. And she had all this system to know how to get how to be a featured video at this time and tweeting and have all these <laughs> things happen so that her video would be promoted by YouTube and she became a big YouTube series. Uh, today she's doing, I think, season three or four, and it's uh, produced um, with Microsoft on board, so it's broadcast on Xbox. It's all over Xbox Live. Uh, you can download and watch the show on there. And she actually, you know, she it's more of a traditional television show where she presents them with a budget and then they, they underwrite the show. You know, it's by, brought to you by MSN Video or whatever. Um, so that's a, one successful model. Another one. Is she's a huge master of the social media too. Oh, I yeah, mean, she's, she's just like <coughs> the queen of she's Twitter. She's got 1.6 million Twitter followers. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, when you, when you signed up for a Twitter account, when I signed up for my account a year ago, way late, by the way, unbelievably late, um, it automatically added her to my friends. Yeah, it it so added her, Barack Obama, yeah. CNN, uh, and Felicia Day. And I, I sat there staring at her for I couldn't believe it. So she's, um, she's very lucky in that respect that uh, yeah. you know, she's she's sort of the Twitter. Twitter she's queen. she's the, yeah the she, Twitter queen. She yeah. really is. She's she's yeah. done an amazing job of yeah. And and she's the brains behind uh, Doctor Horrible too because she's, uh, she's, she's a performer. Doctor Horrible. But she Joss, she Joss gave Joss Whedon. Joss Whedon the idea. They met on on oh, uh, on on the Strike TV picket line, and she said. You should make a web series. And he says, he says when they crashed the servers on the first day, he like had no, he like has no idea. Yeah, Joss Whedon, he he invented internet television. He told, she told (laughs) him. Three years ago. Yeah. (laughs) That project got a lot of mainstream. A lot of mainstream. He was credited for inventing internet television. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) There are the web series. There's web series you can look at. There's a group of guys in uh, in Victoria, BC, called uh, LoadingReadyRun.com. They've been making online videos for years, since 2005. Very simple stuff. Just a bunch of guys write some geek comedy. They they shoot it themselves. They cut themselves. Um, And now they have a deal with the Escapist magazine, and they do a weekly video on that. Um, so yeah, there are aggregators popping up. There's Adam Films that uh, that uh, pays for Legend of Neil, another another series. So there are aggregators popping up that are you know doing web TV, but it's always you know it's it's you're going to have an order of magnitude different amount. Of, you know it's going to be <laughs> <laughs> it's not going to be as much money. 
as yeah. working in traditional television. And you're, you know, as a writer, you're probably not going to get paid the same amount for a script um, doing uh, live TV. I'm just wondering, while we're on the subject of business, clearly you guys are way ahead of the curve. So what I would like to know, how do you think this is all going to shake out? Like, in terms of if how, the, how the business is changing, like in, in television, and you talked about how Business of television or live television, or just or, or perhaps the fusion of the two. Well, um, yeah. See, the problem is th th this is the problem. Um, right now, uh, the Canadian Film and Television Association and, and all the established broadcasters are are hanging on to the idea that you know your ad dollars are best spent on television. You know, the, the amount of that you would pay for an eyeball is premium on watching a television ad during a television. Radio, TV, magazine, television is, is the cat's ass when it comes to advertising. But now they're also advertising on the web, um, and they're getting more people that are you know, buying ads on the web and monetizing their web content. You know, all, all of all the episodes on showcases, all of showcases, original shows, and stuff they buy is all broadcast on the web as well. But the problem is they have a stranglehold on television, but they don't on the web. If you're selling advertising on the web, you're not only competing with other Canadian broadcasters. See, they're, on TV they're, they compete with other Canadian broadcasters. On the web, you're, you're competing with the world, and not only that, you're not competing with other content producers and broadcasters, you're competing with Facebook, you're competing with CNN.com, you're competing with every other website in the world. So uh, they're always going to be undercutting you, um, and it's going to be a lot more difficult to ask for the same dollars per eyeball when you broadcast on the web, no matter what format uh, you broadcast in. Even if you streamed your TV straight to the web, you just have a copy of, of what's going on on your channel on the web. How can you ask for the same amount of dollars for an ad when you can buy a Facebook ad for far cheaper or uh, any other of the millions of websites out there? So that's the problem, is that it's... Maybe you can, though, if you can demonstrate that that, that ad uh, is more likely to be, you know, uh, converted into money, or, you know, into sales. Mm -hmm. Maybe, maybe those things will start to reveal themselves. I don't know. I don't, I don't even know if, you know, if, if a streaming video ad versus a clickable ad, I don't know which ads actually generate more sales. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not a marketing expert. Um, but I know that that's going to be a problem. Um, and yeah, people are going to have to study this and figure out how do you, you know, in, in, the, in this decade, how are you going to be monetizing your content as a broadcaster? Um, you know, personally, I think that something's going to emerge that doesn't yet exist that could be the new solution. Um, you know, something that just hasn't been invented yet. It hasn't been, you know, it's probably not going to be iTunes. I don't know. iTunes will probably do its thing. Uh, iTunes is more of a, a serves to sell Apple's products. They want to sell their iPods and their iPads, right? That's sort of what iTunes pushes. They keep their, their prices of their content very low. In fact, they you cannot ask for more than 99 cents a song. Apple won't let you. And in fact, they told NBC they, they were going to take a hike and they wanted to charge different amounts for their show. Apple said, no, no, our show costs this much. If you don't want to use that our service, then we'll see you later. And NBC came calling back later. I think ultimately it will be driven by consumer demand. This is what I've learned from business in the last couple of years. Um, I, I think it's it's becoming clear. You know, you know, like the next generation is not going to tolerate um, waiting for a certain moment for pre-recorded content to come online. I think we're going to see a sharper differentiation between live broadcast, the Olympics, a sporting event, a news broadcast, 
and content like Friends or Pironage or something pre-recorded. Right now, they exist in the same plane, kind of. You know, at 8.30's Friends, 9 o'clock's the news. That's going to have a sharp separation. And I think television, as you understand it now, will become more of a live broadcast medium, things that people don't want to wait for. You don't want to wait for the Olympics. It, there's no value to watching the Olympic medal run an hour after it actually happened when everyone else watched an hour before. There's no value to that. Um, a show like Friends, why does it matter when you watch it? It really doesn't. That type of content needs to be on demand. All film, all TV, all that sort of fiction needs to be on demand, and nonfiction will be live. That sort of separation will happen. I think what's inevitable, of course, it will all be broadcast over the Internet. It will all be bandwidth. Um, cable companies, well, already they have. Rogers probably provides your phone and your Internet and your television, and soon it will be one big pipe coming into your house. Um, but yeah. Google will build it into your house. Google will probably build it. <laughs> but ultimately, yeah, I think they'll separate live because live is live. I mean, it'll never be, not be live, and you don't want to watch live late. You want to watch live when it's live. But other than that, things like uh, television shows being broadcast at a certain time, that, that's, that's dying. That will be gone soon. Um, and with that, maybe the, the formatting, the heavy formatting of content, too, where it has to be 44 minutes or 21 minutes. I, I sure hope so. Yeah. yeah, I think the only, the only part of the entire process that I would describe as painful, creatively, was uh, was cutting down to 22 minutes. Yeah. So, um, any word on second season yet? No. No, they, they don't tell us. They don't tell us anything. They don't, well, <laughs> we're the creators, man. It, they don't, <laughs> we, we, we're the last to know. Will we'll happen? I mean, you'll get word. Sooner or later, because uh, yeah. uh, it's got to be almost time to be go soon. again. It I is. Yeah. Shooting in the, in the winter. Yeah, yeah. Did you do a lot of exterior? Yeah, you did some exterior. We did. We, did. we were lucky. We were really pushing the oh, man. We were lucky to not have snow on a lot of days. Yeah. Um, so uh, I, I don't want to start later than we did last year, especially if we're doing more episodes. That would be a lot of things we, we didn't consider in the writing phase because we, when we write in the web, um, literally if, if we're like, oh, it's a rainy day, thunderstorm with this fight scene, <laughs> well, we're shooting it the next time it's a thunderstorm. <laughs> we're like, wait for the day. Oh, there it is, Google Maps. <laughs> Boom, let's go shoot. Um, you don't obviously have that freedom with a TV show, but we didn't know that when we were writing it. So we're writing outdoor scenes, never thinking, wow, we're shooting till December 5th. We have guys running around in T-shirts shooting, you know, PVC rocket launchers. Um, so it'll be something we're more conscious of in the future. Yeah, I think we'll be like, okay, so when's our shooting schedule? Cool, right around that. We want to stand outside, freezing our asses off. What's yeah. the scene now indoors? Yeah, so season two is like, all indoor. Uh, and so do you have other uh, uh, concepts that you're working on? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I'm kicking well, on some. Every writer's got their bag of, yeah. bag of dreams. Bag of dreams, yeah. You know, and uh, we sort of uh, make notes here and there. But, uh, but we, you know, we call Pyramage our golden goose. It hit on the web more than anything on the web. To this day, is hit. I mean, uh, there's a lot of big web shows now, the Guild, but, but nothing ever hit like Pironage um, in terms of the numbers, uh, whether it was revenue or viewer eyeballs or anything. It really was a gem, um, and we call it our golden goose, and, it, and that's what it is for the TV. So right now, it's if we get a season two, that's all that matters. That's all that matters in life is just make that as good as it can possibly be to get a season three and then make that as good as it can possibly be. Because when you get something that works, you really have to go with it. You can't get greedy. And, and, um, and we also hear that it's it's not very common that we get a TV show. Yes. Even though we're one for one. And we've yeah, we're one for one. one. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when, when we finally got the green light, Jared and I were like, oh, cool, sweet. Yeah, we got the green light phone call, and the first yeah. time in line is like, oh, man, 
I'm going to get to play way less StarCraft this way. This is, this is not going to work. This is not We're supposed to be more excited about that. <laughs> it took two weeks to sink in. I woke up two weeks later with, I got a TV show. What the hell just happened? <laughs> but, uh, okay, yeah. and what are you playing now? I'm playing StarCraft 2 beta. Okay, well, I really want to thank you guys for coming out. This has been fabulous, fabulous discussion. Thanks for listening. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at writerstalkingtv at gmail.com. This podcast is sponsored by the Writers Guild of Canada, technical production by Philip Vukovic. I'm Jill Golick, reminding you that if you aim for quantity, quality will follow. <laughs>